boogeyman is real, and you found him. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What's blood for, if not for shedding? I'm your number one fan. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? We all go a little mad sometimes. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Seven days. <laughs> I am Dracula. We have such sights to show you. I said, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. I am the eater of wounds and of children. What's in the fucking box? They're coming to get you, Barbara. One by one, we will take you. Never again! You gotta be fucking kidding. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Welcome to prime time, bitch! <laughs> welcome, welcome, horror fans. It is Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. That means it's time for the for another episode of the Week in Horror podcast. The only podcast that, if it weren't for you, wouldn't have danced at all. And if you, dear horror fanatic, are listening to us at the top of the week, remember, we do this live right here on YouTube every single Wednesday. We hope to see you in the live chat. This week, we are covering select horror films released October 8th through October 14th. Thank you all so much for joining us. I am JL. As you see, I am holding down the fort by myself, but that's okay because the other guys are busy with amazing stuff behind the scenes. So I hope everybody is doing fantastic. It's so great to see everybody. Before we get started tonight, first, let's get up that Patreon banner. All those amazing individuals who help us to make this show possible. You see their names down there. Thank you all so very much for your support. And... Let's see who we have in the live chat tonight. I see, first and foremost, Michelle, with one L, has become a new member of the Army of the Dead. Thank you so much, Michelle, for your support. We do appreciate that. Please enjoy the emojis and the channel badge. So thank you very much. Robert Biters here says, oh, man, got to take the kids to town. Not sure if I'll catch this one live. We'll try and get back, though. Rock on, guys and gals. Thank you, Robert Biter, but I see you did make it back. So it's good to see you, Robert. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight. But the Horror Workshop is here. Good to see you, Horror. I think that is Burn, uh, uh, Bird. So good to see you. I uh, says, hope I can still be up for this as I'm in Berlin sending my support. Well, if you're here, Bird, thank you so much for being here, bud. I do appreciate that. As a friend from Discord. So thank you very much for hanging out. Casey Cooper's here. Good to see us. Says, well met, one and all. Thank you so much, Casey. And I see, ooh, Raven Darkstar says, uh, let me see. Oh, who's been hanging out for two hours? Says, I nope, just make sure I have chat, et cetera. Plus, busy with other things and wanted to make sure I was here so I wouldn't forget. Thank you, hon. We do appreciate that, Raven. You rock. And I hope you enjoyed that, uh, that item you won from the store. So thank you very much, Raven. Uh, Travis Brown is here. Says, I was just curious on the hubba. Uh, oh, I see. Okay. That was a conversation going. Oh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. They were talking about that. Hey, <laughs> I survived watching Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. But just wait. There's a sequel coming out. There is. So yeah, really, really weird shit. But good to see you, Travis. Thanks so much for being here tonight. I see as well. Yep. Robert made it back. Says, I made it back. Had to take the kids down. Wasn't sure if I'd make it. But I skipped the bottle store. I didn't fuel up uh, the ute. So bring it on. We will bring it on. Thank you, sir. Uh, yes, uh, Casey Cooper say it's four minutes till showtime. Any wagers, Robert Biter? Yeah, I see. But yes, I made it on time because it is just me. I didn't have to wait for anybody. So, but uh, there's a possibility that Eugene may pop along or someone may pop in later. I don't know, but we we shall see. But likely it's probably just going to be me tonight. Oh, wrote in the last name. Good to see you. Gabba Gabba to you. Says, what? On time must be a sign of the apocalypse. It's impending. Well, Considering the thunder outside, it's getting pretty intense. So uh, I don't know. There's a storm brewing. So I don't know if it, typically, you know, we're good here. 
but I guess we'll have to we'll have to wait and see see if something happens. You know, uh, Anna Annie's here. Good to see you. Anna Annie says hi everyone. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, let me see who else we got. Some werewolf is here. Says what's up. Good to see you somewhere. Who was originally out for blood? Good to see you. Some werewolf. Thanks for so much for being here tonight. Oh, and Hot Drop is here. Good to see you, Hot Drop. Uh, says Uncle West is here as well. Thanks so much, Hot Drop. I appreciate that. Those are amazing people in the live chat. And of course, if you haven't said anything yet, thank you so much for being here. We do appreciate it. And remember, if you'd like to support the show, you can support it via the Patreon and get your name on the banner, or you could be a member of the Army of the Dead, which is YouTube memberships. We have those available. They're like 99 cents a month, and you can get all the emojis that we make for you and all of the, and the channel badge. So thank you very much for that support. Jay Patchett, good to see you. Says you guys should have seen JL here making a Christian uncomfortable with his rejection of the cult. <laughs> yeah, that was a conversation I was having with uh, with somebody else. That was uh, that was that was pretty uh, pretty intense. Operation Free World, good to see you. Uh, as if it starts running blood, we get a storm. Can we get a storm camp? Absolutely, Sir Chasm, good to see you. I didn't miss you that time, but thanks so much for being here, Sir Chasm. You rock. Uh, we appreciate it. All right, so we are. Deep in the spook, well, we're not so deep in the spook. We, we're in the spooky season now. I'm very, very excited. This is my favorite month of the year. I'm sure it's your all of yours favorite months as well. Angel Rivera, good to see you. Says, what up, what up? Ghouls and gals, thanks so much for being here, Angel. Appreciate it. And the one big thing, the one cool thing we have coming up uh, here really soon, because if you're listening to this at the top of the week on Sundays, when the, the audio goes out, obviously we have Friday the 13th coming up. Friday 13th is always a fun holiday, or it's not really a holiday, but it's a holiday for us. And we have a Friday the 13th coming up in the month of October, which makes it extra, extra special because that's my boy's day. That's my boy right there. That's his day. Um, the thing is, I was planning on doing uh, like, a, like, a, like a small Friday the 13th marathon uh, over in the Discord. Unfortunately, I'm going to be out of town. So we won't be able, I don't think we'll be able to run that. I'll be out of town because I am going uh, down to Texas with friends to see the Ring of Fire uh, eclipse. So obviously the Ring of Fire eclipse in October, and then next year we go down. We're going down to Texas to see the um, to see the big the big total solar eclipse. So unfortunately, I will be traveling down to Texas on on uh, Thursday, so we can get down there for the 14th, and we can for uh, for Saturday I'll be going out of town so we can see uh, the Ring of Fire eclipse. So I apologize for that. It just kind of like coincided i will try and make it up to y'all i will show some friday the 13th films on the discord i guarantee you but unfortunately you just can't be this friday but i love doing stuff on, on friday the 13th uh, some people have their own kind of friday the 13th things that they do so i'm really really curious and i'd like to hear from y'all what do you like doing on your friday the 13th do you like just watching jason movies do you like watching maybe friday the 13th the series um or is there something else that you do something you do via social media uh, how do you show your friday the 13th love and of course, because I'm a big Jason fan, as people can tell. So I'm really curious. How do you show your Friday the 13th love? Let us know in the comments below or at weekendhorror at gmail.com. Casey Cooper says, well, okay, we won't slash your tires to keep you home. You have good reasons. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Jay Patrick says, my wife and her Halloween decorations. Uh, <laughs> I get it. Same thing over here. And Operation Free World says, we cleaned a funeral home today and we were browsing the caskets. Those are some expensive Halloween decorations. I imagine. Joshua Lee, good to see you. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Appreciate it, bud. You rock. Uh, oh, somewhere Wolf says, just another spooky day for me. Mostly just filled with horror movies. Fuck yeah. Best way to spend it. Uh, Rodinello Sam says, I like making fun of all the superstitious fools. <laughs> True. It should not be filled with superstitious to be filled with the best slasher in the history of mas masked slashers. It absolutely should be. All right. So we have got some stuff 
to talk about tonight. So before we get into the movies, the movies we've selected, um, there was one thing that came up because one thing that we really love here at Weekend Horror is we love uh, holiday horror. So like we showed the tit, we showed like the trailer for Thanksgiving, which came out a few weeks ago. So we showed that because we love we uh, holiday horror is always so much fun. You know, you know, I just I wherever it falls, that's why I love that one anthology that had like uh, it was called Holidays, and it was a horror film, a short horror film, is an anthology of horror films that center around each major holiday. So like you know Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's, Fourth of July, so on and so forth. And we have another one coming up. A new Christmas horror film, which I checked out that I thought was amazing. So uh, if you haven't seen it yet, it just recently came out. Here is the trailer for the Christmas horror film. I know we're talking about Christmas. It's still Halloween. I know that. But we love all horror here equally. So, But here is the trailer for There's Something in the Barn. I think you all will like it. Let's cue up that terror tube. So that was the trailer for There's Something in the Barn. So it's set for, uh, I believe it's going to be uh, released on November 10th. November 10th is when that one will drop. It's about an American family fills their dream of moving back after inheriting a remote cabin in the mountains of Norway. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm a big fan of Martin Cove. Martin Cove was the dad in that one. So it looks like it's got a great cast. Uh, or Martin Starr, sorry, Martin Starr. So we got like Martin Starr and Jeff, uh, Jeff Beck Larson, Towns Bunner, uh, Amrita Achara. So a great uh, cast, and it looks like it's a lot of fun. It's directed by Magnus Martins. So if the people are not familiar with Magnus Martins, um, I believe he uh, was the mind behind. Um, he, he did some work on ba- on the show Banshee and Twelve Monkeys as well. And I believe he also uh, direct. I think he is the uh, yeah, and some time on The Walking Dead. That's right. He did direct uh, Fear the he did episodes on uh, the Fear of the Walking Dead and uh, the Walking Dead World Beyond. So he's got a good grasp of horror, and I'm looking forward to what he brings to it. So no, normally a television director, um, but yeah, he's got some fantastic stuff. And I believe that um, what was that? Uh, oh, you have something. Yeah, so that was something different. There's something unrelated. But yeah, so we got a good pedigree of uh, minds behind this, and it looks fun. I love holiday horror. Um, Raven Darkster says Elf looks like a bloody garden gnome to me. <laughs> So I yeah, death metal. Absolutely. Thank you, Robert Biter. But it looks like it looks like fun. It's holiday horror, and holiday horror is always a good time. So I'm looking forward to that. But if you're looking forward to checking out There's Something in the Barn, let us know down in the comments below or weekendhorrorgmail.com. I I I don't know how many of you will check it out in theater, but definitely check it out on VOD when it comes out. But I I for one, I will I eat up holiday horror. So like, you know, thanks, Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to that one. You know, other holiday horrors that center around it, you know, uh, My Bloody Valentine, fucking uh, Thanksgiving, so many good ones that are out there. All right. Let's see, we have to make sure I didn't miss anybody popping in. I think we're good to go. Jay Patrick says, only in cinemas for two weeks and for streaming. And uh, yeah, it should be, so it'll be out quick. And I think uh, he also said, oh, uh, Hot Drop says, looks like Slaughterhouse 3 is, oh, yeah, Slaughterhouse is coming out. It looks like Slaughterhouse has a competitor. It just might. Because Slaughterhouse looks just fucking just you know bonkers, especially because we're getting movies like this, like Lamageddon, Velocipaster, Slaughterhouse. You know, it's Zombievers. It's it's in the vein of those. I think it's going to be hilarious. Um, a Christmas. Uh, Travis Brown says a Christmas version of Revenge of the Lawn Gnomes. Fuck yes, hell yes. Can't get better than that. It's going. It's going to be great. It's going to be just hilarious. Either hilariously awful or it's going to be subversively good. So. Rodanello Sam says, we need an International Donut Day horror movie. Ah, that could be interesting. Yes. 
<laughs> the space llama in disguise. Yes, Llamageddon. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Jay Patrick says, has anyone seen the movie Cobweb? Very, very good film. If you haven't seen Cobweb, definitely check that out. I love folktale horror, and that one has some excellent, excellent uh, 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 actors now. It was a very excellent performances. So, I, I mean, that was me. Some of the critics didn't just, didn't agree, but I really enjoyed Cobweb. You know, maybe it's because I really dig that that subgenre. <laughs> oh, pardon me. Oh, had a cough. I'm talking too fast. Travis Brown says we do have Attack of the Killer Donuts. We do. We do. We absolutely do. All right. Well, as my co-hosts often say, this is a horror film podcast, and so we talked about horror films. So, like I said. Uh, we have some movies to talk about, so first and foremost, let's just dive right into it. First film that we have up tonight, released October 8th, 2004, and we have the Toby Hooper remake of Toolbox Murders. Let's check out this trailer. Oh, Travis Brett said, first I thought it was the name of your project film. No, not this one, but this is Toolbox Murders, which came out in 2004. It is a remake of the 1978 film Toolbox, the, the Toolbox Murders, and uh, directed by Toby Hooper, written by Jace Anderson and Adam Gearsack, and of course, starring Angela Bettis, Brent Rome, Juliet Landau, who people remember, remember as Drusilla from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Rance Howard, Marco Rodriguez, and of course, Sherry Moon Zombie. Um... So, yes, uh, so the film in itself, as far as remakes go, I personally, I thought this was absolutely amazing because I've seen the original, the, the original 78, uh, The Toolbox Murders, and that film felt very disjointed in what it was trying to convey, whereas the violence was there and it was and it did go up as one of the the uh, the targeted video nasties during that uh, during that you know epidemic in uh, the UK. The film itself was, was kind of like haphazard. Like, like I said, it didn't really know if it wanted to be a slasher or be a psychological thriller or be like a supernatural horror film. So it, it, it played around, but it didn't really fall right. This one, uh, Toby Hooper, because being Toby Hooper, has a magn had a magnificent grasp on what, a, what subgenres uh, were supposed to be. So taking everything that he learned, he comes along and he, and he remakes this film so many years after the original and turns out a really, really solid slasher film. The Toolbox Murders. It's a slasher film. You, I mean, you hear those. It should be that. And I got to give it to him. So I also want to say that arguably, and I don't know if, uh, if all of you watched it out there. As it, yeah, yes, it's in Life Force Poltergeist. Toby Hooper, you got it. And yes, Casey Cooper, there is a nail gun kill in it. There absolutely is. A pretty graphic nail gun kill as well. But there are some more graphic... Uh, the, the, the kills in this are really, really solid. They're really good, kind of like... Uh, yeah. like. But I'll say, Sherry Moon Zombie, for anybody who kind of like, like, uh, Sherry Moon is in this, I think Sherry Moon Zombie gave the best performance of her life. That's just where I'm going to start. I'm going to lay that out. I think Sherry Moon Zombie's performance in the Toolbox Murders was pitch perfect. She comes in, she's an actress, she's coming off of work, she goes home, uh, has a glass of wine. Uh, my callback got pushed. Then gets murdered with a hammer. Best performance of her entire fucking career. I got to give it to her because it was pretty damn easy. Um, I, I honestly, I think she did. I think she did show her acting chops in this one. I I, I don't know if Sherry over here this night. And I'm not trying to be mean, but yeah, I think this was the best performance because it didn't require that much for her. Just you know, like ah, oh, killer scream, die. Really, really simple. Not too taxing. You know, really, you know, really good. You know, she wasn't saddled with anything, anything really, she wasn't saddled with anything like really heavy or really, you know, like nuanced. Just, you know, be the first victim and you're good to go. So well, well done. Well done, Sherry Moon. Um, but yeah, the Toolbox, uh, Toolbox Murders is an excellent gem from a, from a truly gifted legend. Uh, Toby Hooper, obviously, you know, 
the, the his uh, his filmography speaks for uh, uh, speaks for itself. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2017. But obviously, kicking it off with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then movies like you know he directed the uh, the the Salem's Lot miniseries, the movie Fun, the Fun House, Eaten Alive, and then of course you know uh, one of his his episode in the Masters of Horror was fantastic. He's a, he did amazing amazing work. So he has uh, Toby Hooper always had a magnificent grasp of what was <clears throat> it was of what entailed or what was true to his subgenre. And I think that's what played here, why his remake is better than the original, because he didn't get lost in the minutia of simply trying to be shocking. He was simply trying to tell a story about this slasher who had supernatural motives, but not necessarily anything. It hints that there's something supernatural going on here, but it never really confirms that. So we know we have a killer with supernatural motives, and then we have some really, really gruesome deaths with hand tools. Hammer, nail gun, drill, circular saw, well, yeah, the circular saw, all kinds of stuff. So we have a lot of that, and that's a, it's easy, it's simple. He doesn't overcomplicate things, which is what's so great about that. Not to mention the production value is fantastic. The building that they shot in was currently uh, in the middle of renovation, so it made for a fantastic. the The idea is that the apartment, the apartment building, the complex is very, very cheap, and the reason it's so cheap is because it was like condemned and then they're trying to like refurbish the whole thing so people are living there while all this construction is going on so it lends itself to that idea and then we have that beautiful homage that like i would say almost poltergeist homage when they fall down into the basement like the bowels of this place and there are fucking like corpses everywhere like an unfathomable amount of corpses all over the place of just rotting corpses everywhere very it was like i love that little kind of like throwback to like poltergeist which is fantastic not to mention Angela Bettis is is great. She's great in everything that she does. People might remember her from May, um, a number of other, or uh, maybe uh, The Woman. And then, of course, Julia Landau, who was weird to hear her without her English accent that she had in Buffy. So it was interesting to see her in that role. But a lot of fun. Overall, it's just a very, very fun film that follows and just that you, you doesn't try too hard to be more than what it is. And that's the importance of that. When you recognize where the prior, if you're going to remake, like for example, what we're you know like what we're uh, you know attempting to get done with uh, with Nailgun, you recognize where there where aspects of the film were unfocused. You try to refocus those uh, those aspects. You try to put the focus where it needs to be, so you don't get lost on things that are like you know secondary or tertiary to the actual plot. So like in the first film, the first film had aspects of like it went in my personal opinion it just went way too far it had supernatural aspects it had psychological aspects it dealt with issues of like you know of rape and revenge it dealt with issues of like incest and the kills were there but not so much there because we had to spend time on other things so the film kind of loses itself tripping over stuff trying to trying to define you know what kind of movie it is so, and you had all the exposition with like the cops and the investigation with this one. It's really, really simple with, with what to Toby did. We said, here's our protagonists. They live in this building. There's murders happening in the building. They try to survive. Very, very simple. So you try to focus on what the previous ones got wrong, where they kind of misstepped, correct those missteps, but don't try to dive, you know, diverge way too off, like way off from the premise, because then you're just, you know, making a different film. And if you want to like, you know, come off the brand, then you want to make sure that you have that homage, you have that connective tissue, which I think Toby, uh, Toby Hooper did magnificently well. I thought the cinematography was fantastic. The way he shot it, able to take 
these kind of like this like almost like run down i'm on the verge of condemned like water damaged buildings and then move from uh, as each apartment was kind of like a character in themselves as it conveyed the character and so he allowed the sets to speak for their actors so you don't get lost in exposition which was that all comes down to set design so when you're on film set making sure that the individuals who are in charge of building your environments convey those characters appropriately so if you look at the difference between um i want to make sure they get that between uh uh what was it fucking nell with nell in her husband's apartment as opposed to lauren's apartment as opposed to uh chaz's apartment. you know everybody has their own kind of environment and you want those environments to convey who they are and you have the killer at the you know the end the killer who's like his environment is the bottom basement it's all it's rusty and it's it's run down it's gross it's dilapidated falling apart there's bodies everywhere the decay and the rot reflect the character whereas the simplicity and very compartmentalized uh, area of Nels conveys her character whereas the very free spirited music you know drugs you know chaotic kind of like free living and uh, free living atmosphere conveys uh the uh, the first girl who died with the nail gun uh so that's what's important uh, julia and so is that was that julia yeah um that's right. Yeah, we'll make sure because there's there's a bunch of characters in this. Uh, oh yeah, sorry. Um, Chaz, yeah, blah blah. Anyway, yeah, Julia. Sorry, J Julia was Julia Landau, and then um, Jennifer. Or was it uh, Jennifer? Yeah, Jennifer was Chris uh, Christina Venuti. So and uh, Sarah, yes, Sarah Kirby was Sarah Downing. So that's what was important about this one is it actually conveyed a coherent story that that moved from point to point and the pacing was really really solid. Toby Hooper's a you know a renowned editor knew what he was doing and that was what made this one kind of stand out from the original, which I think is why people shouldn't miss it. You know, it's a less talked about. I mean, Toby Hooper has his the kind of legendary credits. So, but this one I think gets kind of passed over sometimes, maybe because it's you know it's basically just a genre film. It's just like it's just a slasher. But it shouldn't be discouraged because it shows an ex excellent example of what it takes as a director to remake an IP and really make it stand out and do it better than uh, than the originals did, which I thought was a, which I thought was an amazing opportunity. So definitely not to miss the, this part. I found it interesting that Lucky McKee was originally attached to the film, which is likely why Angela Bettis was attached to it as well, because Lucky and Angela have worked together many times. So I'm thinking Lucky McKee, and because Lucky McKee was originally set to play the part of the killer, but he dropped out so that he could do the woods. And that's intriguing, you know, because there's a very interesting kind of overlap there because Lucky McKee as a director uh, tends to work on projects that are uh, profoundly have profoundly misogynistic themes where the girls get the worst treatment of all or they're the primary targets. Guys tend to be victims kind of, you know, tertiarily or like tangentially whereas the girls get the brunt of the violence and lucky mckee kind of specializes in that genre like you know his movies all cheer all cheerleaders must die uh the woman so uh off you know what was it uh yeah the woman was the sequel to the off uh, to the offspring so lucky mckee kind of specializes in that area and it was interesting that he was attached to this but then backed out so we could do the woods which has its own issues as well and then, of course, uh, Sherry Moon came in as a favor to Toby Hooper, so which I thought was awesome because because he and uh, he and Rob Zombie were friends. But yeah, it's a it's a fun little film popcorn flick. If you dig slashers, definitely don't miss it. There's a lot of excellent little things to to see here, and some fantastic story work, you know. And it, you know, an example of you know what a competent and capable director with a solid vision can do if given the opportunity and the freedom to do so. So. Definitely don't miss that one. Before we get to the CTA, 
Uh, I see historical philosophers here. Good to see you, bud. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Sir Cavs says Sherry needs to keep her sad card until Rob is ready to make Devil's Rejects again for the third time. Um, Raven Darkstar says, the biggest problem I have with nail gun kills, they forget those things have a safety catch. That's true. He did like fire it at her like a machine gun, which is kind of like silly. And then like, but when he like pins her to the wall with the nail guns, like she's up there on the fucking ceiling and shit and she's still alive. You know, although I will say the, the creepy maintenance man, Ed, who's like, uh, his hair's always in his face. Obviously the huge red herring is like, is Ed the bad guy? He's like, of course he's not. He's too timid and like that. That kill was pretty brutal because he used a handheld circular saw and like you know took it took his head and like flung the top of his head you know great fantastic moment when the head when the top of his head like lands on the ground and like the eyes open i was like just so well done toby uber master of the macabre you know he really knew how to throw a little thing in there that'd just be like oh and just get you know twist that knife a little bit god he was so brilliant uh sally skellington good to see you thanks so much for being here tonight flat derp is in the house is what up good to see you flat derp thanks for swinging by Jay Ver says, crap, I forgot it was Wednesday. I am so messed up right now. But you're here, and that means you're on point. So thank you very much, Jay Verse. Appreciate you being here tonight. Tesla Radio as well says, evening, everyone. Good to see you, Tesla Radio. You guys rock. So when it comes to the toolbox murder, or toolbox murders, not the toolbox murders, there's a difference. My question is, did, you prefer, did any of you out there prefer the original or the remake of the film? I myself preferred the remake. I thought the remake was more coherent. It followed better. The editing was better. I thought the pacing was fantastic. The original one was, I think, was going more for shock value than it was coherent story. So it was trying to add as many shocking elements because that was the trend, you know, in the seventies was just like pile on the shock. You know, that's it. You know, we saw that in music. We see that in film. Saw that in literature. How much more can we stick in there to really rile the, really like you know, rile the audience up? So, but some people prefer the original for what it was trying to do over Toby, Toby Hooper's more streamlined and simplistic remake. So that's my question. Did you prefer the original, the Toolbox Murders, or the remake, Toby Hooper's Toolbox Murders? Let us know down in the comments below, or of course at weekendhorror at gmail.com. And there is a sequel out, because you know the film ended ambiguously, you know, because we don't know, you know where the killer got to. So the question is, you know, like, did anybody see the sequel? Because I, I haven't yet myself, so. Sir Cabin says, I only saw the original, but Toby is a genius, so I am sure the remake is better. Absolutely. Travis Brown says, neither, uh, neither seen both versions, so no comments. Um, Rodin Ellis says, it's me or did the trailer use soundtrack for me? It, that, the, the, yes, that like that growing epic, you know, when she goes to face the queen in the trailer. Yes, I, I would say that was, that was used there. <laughs> Very epic. Very epic showdown. Raven says, that's not to say I don't like them. I do. My fave was the first one I ever saw that was Lethal Weapon. Ooh. Nice throwback. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but definitely let us know down in the comments below or weekendorgmail.com. Did you prefer the original or the remake of Toolbox Murders? Let us know. I'd love to hear what everybody thinks. Let's move on to our second film of the night. We have got, oh, released October 9th, 2020. We have the werewolf R&R film, I Am Lisa. Let's check out this trailer. It's a fairly recent one. So let's check out this trailer. All right, that was the trailer for I Am Lisa. It came out in 2020, so I'll try to keep the spoilers to a minimum. But uh, directed by Patrick Rea, written by Eric Winkler, and of course starring Kristen Vaganos in the uh, in the lead role as Lisa and Jennifer Seward, uh, Manon Halliburton, uh, Carmen Anello, Chris Bilsma, and Cinnamon, uh, Cinnamon Schultz. So the film follows Lisa, the titular Lisa, 
who is uh, running a book, running her grandmother's bookstore, which was bequeathed to her by her um, her recently deceased grandmother, and in a small little town in the middle of nowhere, America, and uh, she is assaulted and, or she's attacked and assaulted by a group of girls who, uh, as it turns out, are literally uh, the lead. The leader of this group is uh, literally the daughter of the sheriff in town, and so we find out that the sheriff is corrupt. Everyone is fucking corrupt, and. Because she tried to file a police report against them, they, in retaliation, then attempt to murder her. And they leave her, you know, graped and assaulted out there in the woods for the wolves to eat. But as it turns into Twist of Fate, and, you know, as a Twist of Fate would have it, she doesn't die. She becomes a werewolf and proceeds to exact, you know, revenge against uh, these individuals. Now, yes, so Sir Katz has reminded me a lot of even lambs have teeth from last week. I just didn't care about least enough. So... The trailer cuts a good game. The trailer presents a good game, but unfortunately, I I, I can't say that the film lives up to that expectation. Um, I will, in the vein of werewolf films and in the vein of R and R films, this film is definitely the run to the litter. I get what they were trying to do. I I understand that, and I will say that they did put the money in some in some of the right area in some of the right areas. The werewolf effects were not bad. Um, that's like, I know that's not saying a lot. The werewolf effects were not bad and they put money in to make them at least look good. And they tried to rely on CGI as little as possible, which was excellent. So we didn't have any like full body transformations or some Van Helsing shit or anything like that. But the practical effects were very simplistic. Teeth, eyes, claws. That's, you know, a little bit of facial prosthetics, you know, towards the end when the full moon comes out, but nothing really too extreme. And that's okay. I can actually forgive that. We don't need to go like full, you know, hairy, you know, Benicio del Toro monster to convey a werewolf film. We don't need to. We, as long as we convey what is necessary for the story, which is the duality of the humanity of the character and the wolf, the beast that comes out. So that's uh, some Van Helsing shit. <laughs> so the problem is, like, uh, it's like Sarcasm pointed out, there's not enough reason to care really about Lisa beyond the fact that she's a victim. We can identify with her as a victim, but identifying with her as a person, because of, of, of the fact that a person's a victim narratively does not dictate the, the totality of their person, of, the, of, of who they are. And so when the identity of your protagonist is, is reduced solely down to a victim, they then become a trope. They're only there where the protagonist is only there to service the plot, which is terrible. Because it means we're just following a series of events with nothing to latch on to. So it's like just like, like going frame by frame and say, okay, that's the story. And you don't have anything to like, like, you know, like hook your fangs into or hook your claws into, which really took me out of it. Not to mention, and this is so fucking important. I don't know if it was just me, but the fucking sound problems in this film were absolutely unforgivable. When it when you're having when you're recording what sounds like a phone call, okay, it's really simple. From a filmmaking perspective, what you do is you film one person having the conversation. So you have audio on them, and you usually will have somebody off the side, like like somewhere off the side, talking to and saying the other half of Okay, I think it should be good. <clears throat> Let me know if I'm okay on that end. Are we good? Are we back? That was fucking crazy. So it should be good. Let me know in the live chat. Are we solid? Are we back? Yeah, okay. Rodanella Sam says that we're back. 
Fantastic. All right. So that was that was fucking crazy. And of course, I lost all of the trailers that I had uploaded <laughs> with the thing cut out. So I'm going to have to cut that out. Marco Polo, thank you very much. Thank you, Gosh Effect Fire. Good to see you. Thanks so much. I uh, appreciate that. Five by five. In the pipe, five by five. Uh, but yes. So, well, wow. That totally like killed my train of thought. Sorry. Like I said, storm outside. Normally it doesn't happen, but it just happened to like hiccup. And so I lost the internet and here we are right now. So, damn it. I lost like all the fucking trailers. I, I have the trailers I had uploaded. So I have to do those piecemeal as we go along. Nonetheless, welcome back, everybody. Sorry about that. I will edit out that dead, dead spot so that, you know, so, but the interruption that I had, where the fuck was I? I am Lisa. Yes, we were talking about sound. So from a filmmaking perspective, the biggest issue in this one, whenever they were trying to convey a phone call. Typically, when you're filmmaking, if you are like trying to film a deal, the, the, the breakdown is how you do this, is that when you're shooting the scene, you have the person on the camera who is uh, doing the, who's, who's saying their ver- saying their lines, and then you have the person off stage, like off screen, who was doing that. So they hear each other going back and forth. And they usually put like a little bit of a, a delay. So they say a line, hear a line, react, say a line. So th- that's essentially how you do that. And then whenever you're in the editing room, you just drop the audio off the person who's not physically there. And then you have one half of the audio. Then you do the exact same thing on the other side. You shoot them in their scene, wherever they're at. And then you have the other person off stage. And then you just combine the two in editing. It's not fucking hard. Why does it sound like in one scene, like when they're talking and you hear that line. And so when you have overlap, like if you you can take the audio and you can actually overlap it. So you, you can have like me talk. Then you can hear the other person on the phone. Then you hear me talk. Then you just apply the, a phone filter to that so it sounds like it's coming through over the phone. It's really simple. It's not difficult. And then you do the same for the other side. That's how you get the overlap. You have ADR. This is like the, the, the basics of ADR. The problem is in one scene, we've got Lisa talking on the phone to her friend. And it sounds like her friend is standing right next to her. Like, wait, that, that's literally, she's like like standing in front of her saying the, saying the lines. Then you have one scene where it sounds like where you have the sheriff talking to her daughter and she's talking on the phone and the daughter's in a bar. The sheriff's at the sheriff's station. You hear her loud and clear. But then when you hear the daughter coming through, it sounds like she's coming through on a fucking CB radio. But then when you show the daughter and, but you hear no music and stuff in the background or she was with her friend, like playing, like playing video games and like that. It was all so bad. Like the ADR, like the Foley's that were dropped in the ADR was just beyond terrible. So unless it was like captured, like, you know, on screen and they actually had like the, they had the actors labbed up and they had the boom going and everything. It was just, you know, all the ADR was, and it was so fucking distracting. I cannot, I there's no way to salvage that because when you watch it, it'll immediately take you out of the, of the entire thing, which is so freaking annoying. I hate sound issues. Johnny hates them even more. I wish he was here to like bitch about that shit. Cause I know he would. The minute he heard that first ADR fuck up, He'd have written this whole goddamn movie off. And it really annoys me because I Am Lisa has such excellent potential. As a premise, it's fantastic. You're combining the werewolf genre, which is already, especially when you have you know, when you have a standard set by movies like Ginger Snaps, then you have a really, really deep area that you can explore in the fact that, you know, the the change, how women, you know, women in society historically we don't want the, you know, the, the idea has been narratively, they, we don't want them to change. The people don't want them to change. The idea in the face of the patriarchy. Then you have the woman like changing, finding herself, and then you know taking on her attackers very 
ice spin on your grave, finding the depth of that. And then you have the exploration of humanity, the duality of humanity and the, in, and the internal beast, you know, as explored by the vampires. This should be magic. These two things fit together so very, very well because the natural change in character that occurs in an R&R film is reflected in the idea of a human becoming a werewolf and the nature of the, of the individual changing. And they just drop the ball because we don't care about Lisa. I cared more about her friend, her nurse friend, than I did Lisa. And of course, the bad guys, you know, they're, they're just trash. They're just like, you, you can't wait for them to die. It's very obviously, like, oh, I can't wait for them to get eaten. But then they drop the ball a second time. And of course, so I'll ask you, I'll ask you the live chat. When you're watching a werewolf film, obviously, narrative-wise, the, 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 the tale of the humanity is what's important. But when you're watching it visually, there's two things you have to count on, two things that are important. One, the change, like the appearance of the werewolf, like the change into the werewolf, that's important. And is it not the kills? Let me know in the chat if you agree that when you have a werewolf and the werewolf is killing people, that's an important thing to focus on the, the, the ferocity of the kills, to really express the difference, the, the dichotomy between the beast nature and the human nature. Because then the human then sees the damage they've done. And they recoil to that because that's an animal's work. I am not an animal. And that creates internal turmoil for the protagonist. But in this one, it's very similar. And uh, uh, they were correct. They were correct in pointing out the even lambs have teeth. She makes that tr transition from human to like supernatural monster without batting an eye. In fact, at the very, at the very fucking end, it's like, oh, I'm a werewolf. Hug, power of friendship, carry on with our lives. No, you literally just ripped apart. Like, I know they're bad guys, but you ripped apart human beings. You went full, like, fucking, like, werewolf on a full moon. No addressing how we're going to deal with this. No, no stressing about, you know, the, the, the duality of nature here and how the supernatural is suddenly confirmed to exist. There's nothing difficult here. We just accept it as it is. No challenge whatsoever. Up, oh, I'm a werewolf. Hugs all around. Let's move on. That is not that's dishonest storytelling in my personal opinion or it is it is another director or another writer that has a truly twisted ver like vision of what the current generation entail like like uh what their viewpoints are very very odd and Ronan the says the werewolf had better not look like a cheap furry from comic-con ah, it was a little a little a little, a little bit Little kind of on the cheap side. It was on the cheaper side. Claws, facial prosthetics, add some hair, eyes, big glowy eyes, you know, stuff like that. But the I always love the I was holding back, but I'm now unchained trope. Uh, that's a very very good one. I was holding back, but now I'm unchained. I feel empowered to say so that's where Ginger Snaps went right. That's what Ginger Snaps nailed. It was it was the the woman allowed finally finding the power to justify her truth. She can finally be who she wants to be and she can self-actualize. But then everybody revolts against that, that self-actualization. In Ginger Snaps, it's expressed as a person turning into a werewolf. But the power that it gives her and the fact that she felt her whole life like she had to hide and now she can finally come out and just, you know, now she can finally be herself and everybody rejects her for that, fuck that. She's got the power to stand up against it. That was how important that was. Not to mention these girls are like young you know, going through puberty, dealing with the hormones and shit. They're going through the change, you know, and then not, you know, not the, not the other change, not the menopausal change, but the, you know, the puberty change. 
and then coming in and being, you know, turning into a werewolf. It, I am Lisa has such an opportunity to explore these depths, especially when uh, juxtaposed with the R and R subgenre. It should have been in a, it, it should have been a magical like combination. It could have been peanut butter and jelly, yo, chocolate and peanut butter would have been excellent. But they dropped the ball on a technical side. The ADR was terrible. The sound was awful. Some of the areas were too dark. Some of the areas the camera shied away when it should have stayed. And some areas the camera lingered too long when it should have cut to the next thing. And then you they don't go for the gut. They don't go for the balls when it comes to the violence and the nature of this creature, this supernatural monster. You know, they don't go as far as they should. So it's all about kind of like what they're where they're willing to go, where the director is willing to go. Now I understand that there very well could be budgetary limitations in how they can express their film. That happens to a lot of people. But if you have budgetary limitations, know where you can take from and where you need to put money. So like if you're, you know, you have your budget, make sure the, the budget's going to things that necessarily must drive the story. It's a werewolf story. So it's got to go to the monster effects and it's an R&R story. So it's got to go to your main character to ensuring that you have a character that can convey this nuance appropriately. You know, look at Last House on the Left, Straw Dogs, I Spit on Your Grave. Look at those 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 characters, you know, Revenge or, uh, you know, a number of other, uh, there's so many I can name them off. Um, but look at what those characters convey. Look at the internal trauma, the internal compartmentalization, the internal reconciliation that is occurring within that actor and make sure that your actor can do those things. That's what the whole casting process is for. I think that the girl that they, I personally think that the girl that they cast uh, for, the girl that they cast for, um, uh, for the cast, for the part of Lisa, I think was miscast. That's my personal opinion. I think that was another ball drop. I think that her friend may have been stronger because her, her friend was able to convey nuance a lot better than she could. Um, overall, not, just not well thought through. I th it may have been you know planning. I don't think the movie was that terribly well thought through. And or maybe it was like you know, new people getting a hold of a genre. I have I honestly I honestly don't know. There's so many things we could point at as to why these mistakes was mistakes were made. So, but the problem is the mistakes were made and nobody caught them in post. When you find these things, that's what reshoots are for. Ah, this ADR sounds terrible. Go reshoot the ADR. At least get clear ADR. Take the actor, stick him in a friggin' booth, and record their lines as if they're having a conversation. And be done with it. That it would take you know thirty minutes, you know, or have them go into a quiet place and just record the lines over a mic like this. Have them use their own their own uh, area, and at least get clear lines that we can hear and don't sound like they're coming through over a freaking CB radio. That that's the problem. Ultimately, that's what will take people out of I Am Lisa. It's either uh, I was an immaturity on behalf of the of the directors, you know, like like the, you know a new film, you know, like really not really you know knowing how to like you know assert themselves and get what they want or get what they need. A writer with a kind of weird, even lambs have teeth kind of idea of this current generation, um, nonsensical, you know, flow of plot and not putting the money where they should have, where it should have been in the kills, it should have been in the monster, and it should have been in ensuring that. Your character can act, your main character can actually convey what needs to be conveyed to give it nuance, to make them, to make us care about their lead actor, which I think was, is the only thing that stands this film's way. I hope that it could be, that 
someone could do this and do it right. So that's my that's my question for the audience. The concept of I, I am Lisa is, I think, still a very strong concept. Conjoining the werewolf subgenre with the RNR subgenre, I think, is is just gold. I think it can be done well as long as you have the money and the vision and the wherewithal to do it and to make sure you get what you need. So my question is, knowing what we know now and seeing the mistakes made in the first film and the, given the somewhat ambiguous ending of this of of uh, the ambiguous ending of that movie, do you think I am Lisa? Do you out there think that I am Lisa is or is deserving of a remake or maybe even a sequel where we can kind of shore these things up and try to make a better film than the original. Is it strong enough to get either a remake for someone else to come along and remake it or maybe do a different version of the film or to maybe get a sequel to kind of like fix things up? Let me know down in the comments below at weekendhorror.gmail.com what your thoughts on that were. I am Lisa. Remake, sequel, yay or nay? Very curious. Sir Captain says, hell yes, it could be done way better. Let's do it. I've thought about it. I've seriously thought about it. Rodella Sam says, maybe it was fixed in post, but was far, uh, but was far, far worse before. That's possible. That maybe they couldn't reshoot it. They didn't have the money for reshoots, so they just tried to clean it up as best they could, and it just came out awful. That's totally possible. Sarcasm says, production system going to buy the pink ball gag, saying it's not what you think, it's for a movie. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Uh, let me see. I'll make sure I didn't miss anybody new coming in. No. <clears throat> no. Okay, good. I didn't miss anybody coming in. Uh, uh, new coming in. Rodinella's name says, polish the script, bump the budget, remake possible. I think it is as well. And Tesla Radio also says, redo. I think a remake, someone else handling the story and doing it right, <clears throat> I think that is totally possible. And I think that the, the, the concept, the premise, is strong enough to actually deserve that. I think it does. That this shouldn't just be dropped just because the first director may have you know mishandled it. You know, I'm not going to say that they, they don't know what they're doing, but it definitely was it definitely was juggled. They definitely juggled this thing a bit way. Oh, yeah, way too much. Hey, Cindy Sue. Good to see you. Thanks so much for being here tonight. We do appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, let's go on to our third film, which means I have to go and reload the freaking trailer. One second. Here we go. Now, this is an interest. This was interesting. You wouldn't think it'd be this interesting. released October 14th, 1992. We have the fourth installment, The Inevitable Trip to Space, Critters 4. Like I said, interesting. Let's let's dive into the trailer. Let's check out the trailer. Let's cue up the terror tube. Check out the trailer before we dive into this one. Here we go. Oh, man. Okay, so I think we can definitely say that uh, Critters 4 trailer is guilty of giving away like everything, all the great thing, parts of the movie. But nonetheless, first and foremost, before we dive into this... Um, these last two, these these two eggs, the last two eggs, uh, hit. that's what he said, absolutely. Good to see you, Colin, definitely not Cromwell. Says, hey, JL, love you and your show. Not sure how you lasted so long in this realm. I'm debating quitting after three months. Yet another reason why you're an amazing human. Thank you so much, Colin. I appreciate that. I don't think you should quit. I think you should stick with it. I absolutely do. I think you do fantastic content out there. And I, I know that you're going to have your ups and downs. I, we've had them here. It's just about, it's literally about perseverance, man. I hope you you persevere and you keep putting yourself out there. You're doing great. So I think you're doing fantastic. Keep just keep plugging away. I know it. Sometimes it's a it's a fucking slog. I know that. But man, it's with the, it's with the live chat with all the people here, all the people there supporting you. Keep plugging away, man. I think you've got really great stuff, and you're gonna go really really far. So definitely keep it up. But good to see you. Thanks for popping by the show, Commander Darklight. Holy shit! All the way. 
from the other side of the planet is Commander Darklight. Good to see you, my good friend. Thank you so much for hanging out, man. I know you've been busy, but I appreciate you swinging by. And I uh, so thank you very much, Commander Darklight, one of our longest supporters. And of course, a huge thank you to Sir Chasm, who gifted five Weekend Horror, uh, sorry, five Army of the Dead memberships. So thank you very much. So welcome, Laura Raider, uh, Shiz, uh, the Triggered Limey, and it looks like there might have been two. So it looks like, looks like there might have only been three. But uh, so I hope you get the, the refund on the other two. But uh, thank you. Welcome those new members of the Army of the Dead. Enjoy your emojis and enjoy your channel badge. So it's always great to see Commander Darklight. Thank you there, bud. Thank you, uh, Sarcasm. Appreciate that. Get very generous. Um, Tessa Raider says, I did like the fact that it reminded everyone that the critters were smart. Right. Okay, so this this is fantastic. There's one on my face. Oh, yes. Yeah, well, this is not a critter. This is a triple. This is, this is where I keep my triple. So similar, just not as violent and grotesque. Um, but yeah, uh, let me see. Uh, no, Cindy Sue, you're not in green. Uh, not currently. Um, all right. So Critters 4. So I'd seen this one before some time ago because I was a Critters fan. Enjoyed the first one. First was scary. Second one, Critters 2, the main course, you know, was just, was just fun and fantastic. Welcome Colin, definitely not Cromwell to the army of the dead. Enjoy the emojis and the channel badge. Thank you so much for the support, bud. I appreciate that. Tony regime. Good to see you, bud. Uh, if I missed you saying hi to you earlier, good to see you, Tony. Thanks so much for being here. Um, Sir Cat says, despite my oft-repeated adoration of Brad Dourif, I really appreciated Don Opper's comedic timing. He was amazing. There was such fantastic. Okay, okay, let's let's go from this. Critters three, uh, Critters four, came out in 1992, directed by Rupert Harvey and screenplay by David J. Shaw and Joseph Lyle. Um, uh, and of course, uh, the uh, story the story itself was by Rupert Harvey and Barry Opper, starring Don Keith Opper, Paul Whitmore, uh, Whithorn. Jonas Brindley, Angela Bassett, wow, um, Anders Hove, Eric DeRay, and of course Brad Dourif. So uh, Don Keith Op uh, so Don Keith Opper, play who played Charlie. I thought he was on point. That's a character he has down, and I always loved. Um, I, I always loved what he brought to the character. He made that character zone very similar to like Phantasm. Like so, th those characters, those, those actors who brought who made those characters their own. Okay, I love what uh, Don Keith uh, brought to Charlie, and he just the continuation of the character was fantastic. The, the, this is this is weird. So in watching the franchise, so the oh, before I get into that, this film Critters Four picks up immediately after the events of Critters Three, which takes place in the takes place in the in the the building outside of of uh, Grover's uh, was it Grover's Corner. Um, yeah, I can't remember uh, the, the name of it. But yeah, it doesn't take place, you know, the other way. So it takes place immediately after the events of, of part three. And Charlie collects the final two uh, Kreitz eggs, the Critters eggs, and puts them on a ship to ship them off into space because he gets a message from Ugg, the, the bounty hunter from one and two, that uh, they, they, can't, they can't, like, ex you know, extinct them. They can't just destroy them. But Charlie's like, but these things are, like, super fucking dangerous. And he's like, oh, no. You know, galactic rules. We 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 can keep them in stasis, but we can't just like exterminate them. So we can't get rid of them. So he puts them on the ship, gets trapped on the little pod, gets fired off into space, and gets stuck there for half a century. Wakes up and he's in space, and he meets new you know new characters and everything. And of course, the critters get loose because of human greed. Because human greed is an, an enduring trait, and all hell breaks loose. Now, all of the major points you saw in the film, you saw in the trailer. So the trailer kind of gives it away. 
But I will say this, and welcome, Cindy Sue, to the uh, Army of the Dead. Appreciate the support. Thank you very much. Enjoy those emojis. Um, Dureth was not in all four films. No, he was not. Uh, Raven Darkstar. Um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was in the, actually in part three, that was his film debut. And actually, it was really, really, in, it was what's really interesting is that originally that role of the role of Josh was supposed to go to Carrie Elvis. And said he turned it down and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio picked up. That was his uh, his first movie. Have, you know, like, you know, we, we have to destroy them, but no genocide. We can't, we can't exterminate them. Grover's Mill. Yes, Grover's Mill. Reference to Orson Welles. Thank you very much for the last name. So, um, Angela Bassett's body double. <laughs> so, uh, the magnificent thing here, uh, four is actually better than three by leaps and bounds. Three, in my personal opinion, went a little too hard into the camp. And as we see franchises do, they kind of go hard in the camp. They try to reinvent themselves. They go back into back into kind of the darker themes and the horror territory, which I loved in Critters 4. I thought Critters 4 was a good kind of like, let's pull it back a little bit. We don't need to go so hard in the camp. Let's pull it back a little bit and try to get back to what Critters is all about. So they, they reuse some of the gags, like they reuse the gag of blowing the, the top hair off the, off the Critters. Now he's got a bald spot. So they reuse that one. There's a couple of things that are, and obviously you can see the inspiration they took from Aliens, they took from Star Wars, they took from the Explorers, either Explorers with Ethan Hawke, remember that one? They took from a bunch of films, things that kind of work, and they just, you know, they got, kind of cobbled the film together. The weird thing is, is that this film was shot back to back with three. And that's, I find that to be really odd, because three is not really necessary for anything. For anything. You could jump from two to four. You could say that Charlie wound up wiping up the last of the critters down to the last two eggs and then, you know, went and then went off to uh, went off to space. You know, you could you could do that. You don't need and you could bring Ugg back as later in kind of like an alien three, you know, when Ugg, when when Bishop suddenly shows up, but he's actually a bad guy. That kind of makes more sense. But it feels like three kind of got shoehorned in there to kind of like, let's change the environment. Let's keep it fresh. But they shot this these two back to back. Which means that money that could have gone into four went into three. And imagine what would have happened if the one in space was Critters 3 and they took the money that they spent on three and put it into the production value of four. And the production value was already pretty strong. You know, the Critters look fantastic. The, uh, the set was amazing. It looks solid. You know, you got some decent kills. You know, done nothing too extreme. You have some decent kills. The, the, the captain getting killed when it jumps in his mouth. The guy getting killed in the pharmacy. All of this worked, you know? That's some good moments in there. Char you know, even Charlie, you know, in the 45, finally the Colt 45, like, oh, I got him, and he kills the ship. All classic stuff. I thought that if they put the money from the third film, ignore the third movie, don't make that, make one film. Take the money from the third, put it into the fourth. You'd have had a, re you'd had a really solid film there because the only limitations on four were just budget. And even then, they did really well. Yeah, I mean, the the, the set effects were great. The uh, puppet, the, the the puppeteering was fantastic. The critters looked good. Everything was solid. I actually, on rewatch, I don't have a problem with Critters Four. I really don't. You know, it's actually a lot better than I remember it being. Which was, it's you know, it's it's aged well. You know, it's not bad. Still technically set in the future. You know, because it's in the twenty fifties. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was, I was deep. I was, I was impressed on the rewatch. I thoroughly enjoyed this one. I love the fact that, you know, they had some solid talent. Brad Dorf is in there, makes everything great. Angela Bassett was in there. It was pretty, pretty impressive. 
and the the AI, the AI of the station was fucking it was awesome. All of these are taken from other films, of course. You know, like the the the, the screwy AI, the uh, or the idea of a screwy AI that can't control anything. The the inside joke, tell them tell them the exact opposite. They'll you know tell them something they'll do the exact opposite of it. That's that's a good joke. You know, that's a good '90s joke. So everything was firing on all cylinders here. The only limitation was budget. You know, I even liked the story, like the story connotation. You know, like when Ugg comes back and he's bad, he's like, things change, Charlie. You know, oh, now he's gone all like corporate. Now it's all about money and shit and power. That's why he's like, don't kill them all. He went from bounty hunter to killing them all to the bad guy. That would have been a fantastic like Alien 3 style reveal if they didn't like, you know, if all of a sudden, you know, he was trying to do this and then he just winds up in space and meets Ugg again. Like maybe the real Ugg. Because remember, the initial Ugg was a shapeshifter. So there could have been a lot of ways they played this one. But overall, I think they did a, a fantastic job when it comes to Critters 4. It was a way to shoot space on the cheap. There's only certain things you need to convey, have people react. They're running around on a set, very, very similar. It's, you know, very akin to Alien. And I honestly think that this movie should have been Critters 3. It shouldn't have been Critters 4. You know, Critters 3, would have been, I think, would have been just fine. You know, and, you know, I, I, there was, I really can't point out anything that really doesn't work in the film. Even the puppetry things, even the puppet stuff, I thought was fantastic. Especially, you know, doing the whole, like, putting him in the, uh, the genetic accelerator and then making them grow up really, really fast, which is a terrifying idea. Plus, the sequence with all the Stormtrooper guys come in and they get trapped in the room and all of a sudden, you know, they jump up and it's just like teeth in their fucking visors. I, I love that shit. This was fantastic. This was really, really good stuff. You know, we didn't need Critters 3 to get to this one. We could have jumped from 2 to this one and been just fine. So I'm glad that at least before the new binge came out on Shudder, which this franchise deserved better, before it went you know, went to that, I think that this would have been an excellent send-off for the franchise. To end in space, Charlie's in the future, they carry on, he's going to be inept, he, sends the, 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 he presses the button on the console and the ship goes flying off in the middle of nowhere. That would have been a great way to end the franchise. I thought it would have been it would have been good, you know? But unfortunately, ugh, one word jail, box office. That's true. That's true. Box office. You know, shoot two films, release them all. Then we got we we secure we secure a uh, a schedule for uh, for a period of time. Two movies coming out making money is better than one movie making money. I totally agree with you, Casey Cooper. I absolutely will. I or I absolutely do. I get you. Um, Sir Cabin says, why are all movie air ducts human size? That always kills my suspension of disbelief because I used to steam clean air ducts and none of them were human sized. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. I do. I, I agree with you on that. Uh, oh, Colin definitely not, Colin definitely not Cromwell says, jail is the voice of peace. Oh, I still owe him a halo badge. I never sent him. I think he's mad at me because I'm lazy because who wants to go to the post office? Send him whenever. There's no rush. No, never, never, never. You know, and, and, you know, it's snail mail. So you never know what's going to happen. I just figured, you know, it, 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 if it's going to arrive, it'll arrive when it arrives. It's all good. Don't even, don't even sweat. Don't even sweat yourself. Just sit back and enjoy it, man. It's all good. So ultimately, I, I would recommend for the acting, for, you know, some early Brad Dourif, for some, Ange, for some Angela, ba uh, Angela Bassett hotness, for a very decent story. So, you know, the return of, you know, like Charlie kicking ass, taking names. Um, in that very kind of like, you know, phantasm would say, what was it? Uh, cause I love his character. One of the, one of the endearing, um, one of the endearing traits of phantasm is of course, Reggie Bannister's character, Reggie. And so, you know, it's very much in that vein. And I, you know, 
this one, this one's a nice little nostalgia one. Good little nostalgia popcorn flick uh, that I think you go back and you can you can skip three, skip three, go from two to four. Two, yes, out of a bunch of jokes that were kind of reused, but I liked four as kind of like an homage, new story, kind of cap on the franchise, and it would have been just fine. It really, really would have. Otherwise, it's just it's it's a lot of fun. The film in itself is a lot of fun. Now, as far as that goes, the future of the Critters franchise has not. But I got him. But I yes, Tesla. But but I got him. Yeah, yeah, you got him, bud. Yeah, you did. So I just, it was such a good moment, such a well acted moment. You know, I just, uh, shockingly, you know that good moment, like you know Charlie's. Charlie's internal monologue is so is so fantastically acted. I love what that what he brought to that character. I really do. I I really love it. Um, Raven Dark says, "Where can I watch all four for free?" Definitely, yes. Travis Brown was better than Leprechaun Four in space. It fucking was. Um, I believe all the Critters films. Uh, I believe. Uh, no, they're okay. So, for I don't think there's a place to watch them for free. Um. I, yeah, I don't know if there's a place to watch them all for free. I think you watch Critters 4. No, I, no I'm i pretty sure I had to rent that one too. I don't think they're out for free just yet. The new stuff is on Shudder. So, Critters, uh, Sir Kevin says, Critters 4 was hilarious and violent. Everything I expect from the franchise, love them all. They're, oh, they're all on Tubi. Okay, that's excellent. I didn't see that they were all on Tubi. Let me see here. Um, Okay, it doesn't list that they're on Tubi, but it's awesome if they are. So absolutely. And if you remember, like the original Critters, you had fucking like, you know, Don Keith Opera obviously was in there as Charlie. You had Scott Grimes, um, Lynn Shay, D. Wallace, Billy fucking Zane. So you look at the cast that was in that, you know, so many, so many you know, excellent actors in the original Critters film. Original Critters was fantastic. All right, let me see here. Uh, this is my DVD and VHS bin. Is, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, but the future of the franchise is where things get problematic because Shudder picked them up. Then there was obviously Critters, um, I, Critters Attack and Critters A New Binge, which is, um, which was, I think, uh, serialized, uh, like kind of like, like a, uh, Critters A New Binge and Critters Attack. Critters Attack, I'm sorry, was terrible. Critters Attack was not good. And uh, it, uh, that's why it was not good. Critters a new binge, I believe was uh, released was a Shutter exclusive, and was a series. Was yeah, was was a series. Was a series. There were there. I think there were eight episodes, and I think they messed that up as well. I don't think Shutter handled that well. They went way too hard into the camp, and unlike unlike Evil Dead, unlike Evil Dead, uh, the uh, unlike Ash versus Evil Dead, which was magnificently handled by Stars because Raimi and Campbell were directly involved in that. And Tappert, Ramey Tappert, uh, Ramey Tappert and uh, Campbell were directly involved in that series. So that would be fantastic. That, that was why that was great. The Shudder series, not good. The critters look weird. The puppet, the puppetry is off. They lean way too hard into the camp and the jokes, and it's just kind of goofy. Um, a tone akin to the first film and the fourth film, I think, is the best for that monster for that for for those for those monsters. So the question is. Uh, okay, so I'll ask this. I mean, I know uh, understanding like you know, Critters Attack and Critters a New Binge. I don't know if 
people really could say, I guess they're part of the franchise, but I wanted to ask the audience, given what we know about the first one, the, the classic first one, second one, eh, third one, fourth one, and you even the stuff that came out, the, the Critters Attack and Critters New Binge, what is your favorite, or what would you say is the best entry in the entire franchise? You know, that's, you know, it was kind of, I was curious about that. It's like, because I enjoyed Critters 4 way more than I anticipated. And I went back and watched the original Critters and it was just as good as I remember. Freaky, because that one is a a dark fucking movie and it's kind of, you know, freaky as shit. Two has its moments, you know, like the the Easter Bunny sequence and shit like that. But what do you think is the best entry in the Critters franchise? I'm really curious what y'all think. Uh, Let me know down in the comments below at weekendhorrorgmail.com. Critters 1, 2, 3, 4. A new uh, a Critters Attack or a new binge? What do you think is the best entry in the Critters franchise? Sir Kevin says, tough call. I'm saying binge them all. <laughs> That's true. You could do that. Oh, we're getting a lot of Critters versus. Uh, critters versus Gremlins. Critters versus Vermont. <laughs> critters versus Freddy. Interesting. Critters versus the Langoliers. <laughs> Cosmic Entities. Interesting. Travis Brown says, I've only seen Critters 1, so I need to watch the rest of them to get my opinion. Absolutely. Tessa Raider says, the fourth one is the best. Fourth one was solid. I will say that. Critters versus the Fraggles. Critters take Manhattan. Oh, I love it, Commander Darklight. Critters in the city. Yes, eggs in the sewers. Ah, Critters everywhere. That would, that would be good. That would be interesting. Critters take Manhattan. I love it. But definitely let us know what you think, uh, what you think is the best entry in the Critters franchise down in the comments below or weekendhorrorgmail.com. All right. Now we're going to get into something. Uh, we're, we're Okay. We're going to dive into some pretty, so I think some Debbie does Critters. Really? That's just freaky. That's just free. That's, 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 that's something we see on another site. <laughs> um, Okay, we're going to dive into something I think it's a, a little bit controversial, obviously. But this this next film, the last film we're going to talk about tonight, came out uh, October 14th, 2011. And we have the prequel to The Thing. So let's check out this trailer. Let's queue up that terror tube as soon as I find the trailer again. There it is. Let's check this out. All right, so I know we're getting into some heady territory, but yes, that was the trailer for The Thing, the 2011 prequel to the to the legendary original, directed by, I'm going to see if I can get this right, Mathis von Helgingen Jr. I think I got that right. Um, written by Eric Hesserer, and then, of course, starring um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Joel Edgerton, Adewale Akanuye Akjabe, Ulrich Thompson, Eric Christian Olsen, Trond Espenseem, and Christopher Hivyu. Um, the film itself is obviously, we, we say, is a prequel to uh, the original 1982 The Thing by John Carpenter. The film explores the events that took place at the Norwegian base camp uh, before the events, obviously before the events that took place at the American base camp. And we get to see how that camp fell Leading up to the events with the dog, uh, with the thing, the dog thing, you know, runs the distance from the Norwegian camp to the American camp in order to try and, and spread the infection. So it like literally goes right up to those moments when the helicopter is chasing the dog coming up on the American camp. And so this one, okay, so obviously there's a lot of mixed feelings about uh, the thing, about the thing prequel. Uh, you know, number one, there's a difficulty 
in touching a classic. It's like butterfly wings that you want to handle them very, very carefully. Otherwise you wind up ruining, you know, you could potentially ruin the, you know, the, or the ruin what you're working with and trying to play with something that is so below. Yes. So what happened in the Norwegian extra J good to see you, bud. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Uh, so what happened at the, Nor- at the Norwegian base? So there's a difficulty. I hit enter right as jail said it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the difficulty is in trying to touch on a classic because there is a very, very difficult balance that you, uh, like I say, a tightrope that you have to walk between remake, homage, and how far away you can get from the source material without an ad, and, and because I mean, considering the number of years in between the two without harming the, uh, the, uh, the essence, or I would say like the, the, I would say the essence of the original. So my issue with this, and I think, I don't know if everybody's going to agree with me on this one is one. Yes. Getting a thing prequel was a good thing. And uh, the film in and of itself is not terrible in the respect that the movie is bad. The problem that I think that a lot of people had with the film is that Matthias as a director and Eric, Eric Hesserer, who, who wrote this film, my, I think the issue there was that they were unwilling to step out of John Carpenter's paradigm. That the limitations, sorry, that the limitations in this film were because they didn't want to stray too far from Carpenter. That they that the Carpenter film, the Carpenter classic, limited them. And that's a bad thing. Because just because you're playing in the same universe doesn't mean that the events of the first of the original film should limit the storytelling that you convey here. Now they did go a little step further. They did show the alien craft before it was uncovered. They did show the alien itself when it was first pulled out of the ice. The escape scene was fantastic. I thought it was great. The lead up to that was good. We set up the fantastic character, uh, the character um, uh, conflict that's going to come along. I think that inspiring Mary, uh, inspiring um, Elizabeth, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, the inspiration for her character was essentially Ripley from Alien. And I don't think that was a smart move. I think that was the easiest move was to take was for to have Mary Elizabeth Winstead take something that another character is another actor's already done Sigourney Weaver and just kind of like use that character trope in this role which I think was wrong. I think that was a bad idea. You've already established her as a scientist and a competent one at that because the rich guy's coming to her. He's like they recommend you, I'm coming to you because I'm a good scientist. Let the character run off that. Don't try to copy another version another another actor's version of a good of a good character because those vibes won't necessarily translate it's not like kurt russell was snake plissken in the thing you know it wasn't like he was deriving something else and it wasn't like you know, like like kurt russell took something from the mccready from the from the howard hawks one it was or from who goes there kurt russell made that his own because carpenter gave him that freedom Mary Elizabeth Winston wasn't given that freedom to work to 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 take the character and run with it as as she as she should as the competent scientist. No, she becomes the Ripley of the story, and is forced into the Ripley trope, where she is the scientist, you know, kind of like you know the no the no nonsense scientist turned action femme, and that doesn't work because Sigourney Weaver and Mary Elizabeth Winstead 
are two completely different actors with two completely different approaches. So there was a lot of a lot of pro- like little nuanced problems. The over reliance on jump scares instead of psychological horror. You never really get the sense that the paranoia builds, but you see the characters trying to force the paranoia paranoia to build because that's what's expected from the Carpenter version. I think ultimately what hurts the film, not, oh, sorry, not even that, the cinematography. You have moments that are like replicated from the Carpenter version. The dog's trying to dig out of the, uh, out of the cage. The group coming together and testing one, you know, testing one another. All of those things could have been done in a different way but they allowed the Carpenter version to limit them because they didn't want to take because they either don't want to take the risk of stepping too far outside the line. That's the that's the tightrope you walk when you try to do this one. Either go too far or don't go far enough. And I get the willingness, uh, I get the unwillingness to not want to take risks. I do, but sometimes you just got to go for the you got to go for it. You know, go with what your video it may not work. It may, but. I know this was this was a dangerous film to work because this was a big production for Universal. They're they're going back to the Thing universe. That's a big thing. So they wanted they want to handle it with kid gloves. I think unfortunately they just let themselves they got in the way of themselves once again. It's like how far do we go? How far do we not go? Trying to find that middle ground, and they erred on the side of caution. I get it because money's involved. But when it comes to a final project, our final product, that does that ultimately we've shown historically over and over again that that doesn't work. So while there were some solid moments, and not to mention the over reliance on CGI, obviously that's where yes, it, it, it fell flat. Thank you, Raven Dark Star. It fell flat. The idea that that Carpenter had and with the work of Robot and what made the thing so fantastic. The one thing that they couldn't do or they didn't have the money to do or they wouldn't risk doing was the practical effects. And they decided to go for CGI. And I honestly think that was a mistake. And it's one of the reasons why a film like this would be so difficult to do. And it needs a real powerhouse. You know, I, I mean, I'll probably get lambasted for it, but I think James Cameron would have been better for this. Um, I think it would have been that would have been a stronger someone who has a sense of how to bring things new. Like think of the change between Alien and Aliens. I'm not saying the thing with the Norwegian camp needed to go full like action movie, but someone who knows how to add things into it. A director that could do that. Del Toro, uh, Jackson, Cameron, you know. But of course, big names won't be attached to like it's a straight up horror film like this. You got to go with what works and. Uh, Math- uh, Matthias or uh, Mathias, sorry. Uh, this was his first film, his first major film, because he was coming off of Red Rain, which was a short film he did, which got rave reviews, which is why he was tasked with this one. And I think ultimately it was just a director that was, I think it was the maturity of the director. I think that's what it was. The maturity of the director didn't give him, he didn't have the confidence to go with what he wanted to. And so he was more apt to side with what the what the studio thought from afar. Like, we think it should be this. Let's go with that. That seems the safest option. And obviously a movie like The Thing, think of Carpenter's work. Think of what Carpenter brought, what Russell brought, what um, what the, the, the score of Ennio, Ennio Morricone. Think of what uh, everyone brought to that production. 
You know, that whole movie was risk taking. That was a huge get. The, the thing was a gamble and, and it didn't pay off. It didn't. It, did, it didn't. It was critical failure. Crit, critics like fucking skewered that movie. Greatest sci-fi horror film of all time. Because of the risks that Carpenter was willing to take, which Matthias here did not or, or seemed was unwilling or incapable of taking. So he relied on tried and true tropes to extend the story of a movie that did everything it could to not rely on tropes or to establish itself as an as like as like an original story or as original as it could be. I understand it's a remake like that, but to establish itself as a powerhouse of that genre. To really go for go for the you know go for the guts to go for the guts and shit, and that was what was pro that was problematic. There's certain things that just don't translate, and I think that Universal kind of dropped the ball on this. I think Matthias dropped the ball. Um, I think that the writing was good, but it was not well executed. Was the problem, and then you get into the whole concept of the of like of like getting on the ship, and then like the big CGI thing monster at the end, you know. There was just way too many missteps. Now, on the converse, on the flip side, there were moments that I absolutely fucking loved in this movie. There were moments I thought was great. Little bits and pieces that connected, that created the connective tissue to the original one, to the to the original Carpenter one. The moment when the two, when the two, uh, the, the thing merges with the guy you know, to create the, 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 the split face monster. The axe left in the wall you know, that, uh, that Joel Edgerton's character, the, uh, that Joel Edgerton played, um, uh, fucking Sam, that Sam leaves in the wall, bam. And they said, don't touch it. Don't, cause he cut one in half. It's like, don't touch it. You know, you could be, you could get infected. That ax was there in, you know, when McCready and, uh, when McCready and Copper were surveying the Norwegian base, they come in, they're like, what the hell? There's that ax. Little tiny moments like that were fantastic and but were ultimately just fan service i get i get that they're just fan service but they were fun you know and you know like seeing how the dude committed suicide like the the guy committed suicide in the chair you know seeing him they found his body now we find out what what happened and why he did that we see the origin of the split face we see little details around that now make sense how the whole place burned down that's why we have the wreckage there so even though in the original thing the burned out norwegian station that was shot last. It was shot after they burnt down the American one. And they just shot the remains of the American one and made it the Norwegian one, which I thought was really, really good. But this was a matter of not willing to take risks with a with a, with an established IP, with, with a classic uh, beloved IP. And ultimately, I have to agree with Rodan LSM and a couple others that if we had a choice between not having a movie and, ha and having this, I would actually prefer to not have it. Even though there is a poster of this movie, this movie, the, the the thing poster is up there on the on my wall because it's sitting right across, it's sitting right there. There's the thing and there's the there's the prequel poster because I like the poster. The poster looked good, but I would rather not have something and have the work go into making what it should be, rather than a trepidatious film that's willing to toe up to the line but not willing to push or even cross it. Because filming is filmmaking is about taking risks, and while there are things that work, there's a lot that doesn't. And I think it comes down to, like I said previously, you know, touching butterfly wings. You know, touching butterfly wings. It's so hard to like, you know, to not do damage, but still try to you know to address it to examine it. You know, and not to mention they're facing the capricious nature of the fandom. 
There were people that decried this motherfucker because of the CGI. No, Thing Movie can't have CGI. Flat out, no CGI. I'm inclined, I'm almost inclined to agree, you know, that keep the aesthetic. CGI computer screen that looks more detailed than anything copyright to work with. Did the Norwegians have better technology than me? No, that takes us out of the original established universe. You can have like an old, like you can show like an old IBM computer, like they had, like the shit they had in the thing, but you can't have those kind of graphics, especially when you're looking at a microscope. That doesn't work that way. So yeah, if you're not going to do it right, thank you, Raven Darkstar. Like ABP, if you're not if you're not going to do it right, don't do it. Don't don't try to change it to fit whatever you think should be out there. Stay true to the IP, and they just unfortunately didn't do that. And the fandom let them know. You know, the the fandom was divided. The fandom, the fans were like, no, this is an abomination. You know, CGI monster, unacceptable. You know, uninspired protagonist, unacceptable. No real stakes at any time, unacceptable. Nothing new brought to the story, or nothing interesting brought to the story. Just a rehash of the exact same events that took place in the first film, unacceptable. Some people thought it was like, well, they were constrained. What, what did you want them to do? Totally fuck it up by going out the window? It's like, ah, that's a difficult, see, it's a very precarious. I know that the fandom's divided. I know that likely y'all are divided as to whether or not this film should have even should have even existed. I, I, I mean, there are moments I enjoyed. I can kind of forgive the film for that. But, you know, if I had a choice, I'd rather it not be there. I'd rather have something that was true to what Carpenter created instead of trying to, you know, like, refit what Carpenter did for the next generation, for a new generation. That's just not how you treat a classic, a legendary classic. But then again, I'm a fan. I'm a Carpenter fan. You know, I, my bias is on my sleeve. I wear it on my sleeve proudly. So the question then really remains, going forward from this, The Thing, prequel, big misstep, not necessarily a fail, you know, not necessarily a big stumble. It stumbled, definitely, but not necessarily a fail. And of course, if you want to, I mean, it's two different kind of timelines. If you want to consider like the video game, like the video game, The Thing, which some people consider can, some people don't. Because that was a, that was technically a sequel to the thing it takes it takes place after those events. But then again, there's the comic book which diverges, so it's a little bit different. But my question is, given where we're at, it's 2023, thing prequel came out 2011, original thing 1980 uh, 1982, the thing game came out I think in like the in like the early 2000s 2004 2005 something like that. Comic book was out as well kind of explore like that but as far as the movies go we got two films we've got the thing we got the thing 2011 1982 so my question then is does this franchise have any kind of continuation to it sequel prequel or is there any like like could this franchise continue in any way any form most most notably film form could it or should it just stop now? No more missteps. Don't screw up. Leave the classic where it's at. We'll accept that the prequel exists. Leave it, but leave it alone. I'm talking about the original Carpenter thing, not the, not the, uh, not the, uh, not the, uh, the Hawks 51 one. Yeah. So Rodan says the subtle genius of the original is every clue you see in the Norwegian camp 
happens again in the American camp without ever seeing what happened in the Norwegian camp. But now you know why. Okay. Which I think honestly, in, in a way, let kind of lessens the film, like lessens the Norwegian film. You know, it kind of like, you know, it kind of like, you know, takes some steam out of it. But, you know, it's neither here nor there. Sir Kevin says, only if Carpenter is at least heavily involved in the process. Good point. If he could be involved. Or, you know, like Travis Brown says, alone, leave it alone. Travis Brown says, leave it alone. Because you've got the thing, you know? Classic by itself, thematically a part of Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy, which is the thing. Prince of Darkness and uh, In the Mouth of Madness. So you've got, that's his Apocalypse trilogy. The thing standing alone by itself. You know, now we have the prequel. Fan service prequel. Should it go any further? I don't think it should. I, don't, I think this butterfly has been manhandled enough. It can still get off the ground, but I don't want to destroy it, and I don't want to ruin my memories of it. Or the energy of it. Uh, Tessarino says, some movies only need one. Damn straight. Sometimes they only need one. I will agree with that, absolutely. So let us know. Let us know down in the comments below. And I know it's kind of a divisive topic. Whether you liked the thing or not, whether you liked the prequel or not, let us know down in the comments below if you think the franchise can actually continue from where we're at, or leave it alone, don't touch it any further, let the classic lately, let the classic be where it's supposed to be, you know? So I definitely want to hear what people think about that one. Tony Regime says, if it was done as a reboot, it should be a reboot of the 51 original without any reference to Carpenters. That could be interesting. Go back and remake the Hawks one, or do a direct adaptation from who goes there, from Campbell's who goes there. That's possible. Casey Cooper says, we don't need a prequel to Alien. Leave it alone. Unfortunately, we got two prequels to Alien. And we're going to get a third one, too. Because Fanny Alvarez is handling the Alien film in between Alien and Covenant. At least, at least that's what I understand. That's what I've been led to understand. And I may be wrong on that. But Fanny Alvarez behind Evil Dead Rise and uh, Don't Breathe. Fanny Alvarez is handling the next Alien film. That's what, that's what I've heard. All right. But definitely let us know down in the comments below or at weekendhorror at gmail.com. All right. Well, that's our four films. Looks like I got done a little early because I taught, I, I taught it was pretty, you know, the, the, the conversation on Toolbox and I at least was kind of short. This was kind of like a, a gimme, a kind of a gimme week. But the time has come for everybody, for everybody's favorite time of the show, especially Raven Darkstar. It is her favorite time of the show. You know what time that is? It's trivia time. <laughs> Everybody knows it's coming. It's so fantastic. Absolutely. It is trivia time. A song and dance now? No, not a song and dance. We're just going to carry on with it. Good to go. But tonight it is trivia time. So tonight's trivia question. If you successfully answer it, get the first one in the live chat. And I've got the live chat pulled up right here. Make sure I've got it on all messages. There we are. Fantastic. The first person to get the correct answer to this trivia question wins a special item from the Weekend Horror Store at Teespring. And they will win an item from the Season 5 line. We have Season 5 Drinkware, Season 5 Artwork, Season 5, season five Magnet, Season 5 T-Shirt, all kinds of cool shit. So, yes. Yes, I do have too much fun with that. I do. I absolutely do. So, get those Google fingers ready. Or maybe, maybe someone will know this one, like, in two seconds. That, that happens sometimes. But here is your trivia question for tonight. The creature effects for Critters was originally handled by the Chiodo brothers, who later went on to make what cult classic camp horror film? 
The creature effects for the original Critters was, uh, was handled by the Chiodo brothers, who later went on to make what cult classic camp horror? First answer, uh, first correct answer in the live chat wins a special item from the Week in Horror Store, from the Season 5 line, no less. Season 5, the Flamethrower! Kids love this one. Oh, he got it. Travis Brown got it. Yes. First answer. First answer. Wow, that was quick. Let me see here. Um, that would make sure that was right. And Travis Brown was correct. Yes. Killer Clowns from Outer Space was the correct answer. The Chioder brothers were uh, special effects artists who worked on several films, and they were actually the minds behind the design of the original Critters. And they later went on to make the uh, cult classic uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I see as well that uh, Operation Free World as well got that sarcasm as well. And well done. He got that in quick. But yes, uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space was the answer. So Travis, I will get your name down. Travis Brown won for this one. And we will get that item printed and shipped to you ASAP. Yeah, it brings back a lot of memories. Yeah, fucking fantastic. It absolutely does. But yes, correct answer tonight was... Killer clowns from outer space. I love I love that there was a connect, there was connective tissue there. I love how this genre is interconnected. So amazing. And of course, we. I mean, I know it's a little bit early. You know, it's just me tonight. So sometimes, you know, we run a little. We run a little fast when it's just one person. But uh, that horror fiend is going to conclude another episode of the Week in Horror podcast. I want to thank all of you so much for joining us. We truly hope you that you enjoyed the show. And if you did, smash that like and subscribe button and be sure to hit that bell so you never miss a future episode. Join us next week when we look back at... I totally fucked up. When we look back at... Um, wow, I actually didn't write that. When we look back at the continuation of the saga, Return of the Living Dead, Rave to the Grave, we look at the uh, impressive slasher effort, Rest Stop, the zombie horror severed force of the dead and of course the classic stephen king adaptation the dead zone got some good ones next week we absolutely do um be sure to check out josh olsen's store at badsamurai.store he does all the amazing artwork you see splattered all over our merchandise which you can find over at teespring and for more from week in horror check out all the bloody links that are down in the description so follow us on the socials for the Daily Splatter, your daily horror recommendation. Join our Discord for watch parties, big announcements, and all kinds of horror shenanigans. And support the show through channel memberships here with the Army of the Dead, Super Chats, PayPal, or even through our Patreon for as little as $1 a month. What are you waiting for? Join us! As always, I want to thank each and every one of you for being the greatest audience that a horror film podcast could possibly have. I am JL. We will see you all next week. And as always, stay scared. really helps if I have, you know, the, uh, the outro video, you know, queued up.